0: This morning, I'm going to follow up on something I started last Sunday night, and that was uh, sharing the ministry of encouragement with you. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of going up into South Dakota to speak at the Black Hills Bible Ministry there. They are an encouragement ministry designed to provide a relief, uh, retreat, uh, a rest, for pastors, and uh, they're on their way to putting things together, that that might be a, a full-time reality for them. And so they said, would you come up here and speak at our encouragement conference? And they gave me any topic I wanted, so I chose encouragement. I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, and matter of fact, they, they told everyone I was going to come up and speak on the, uh, the Word and the walk and the work. That we are encouraged to do. So I use that as my outline. I, I really found it quite simple. Just they set it all up, and I just went with the concept of encouragement. And I said, "Well, this sounds easy," until I studied it. Encouragement is a ministry, and it does take much work. It does, and I wanted to share that with you. What what I was able to glean from that study and, and uh, share with them. It is something that will change your whole perspective on encouragement. Trust me, it's a powerful word. A matter of fact, if you're the one who takes notes, or maybe you just flip over your bulletin and write it down real quickly, the word encouragement in big letters right across the page is E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-M-E-N-T. That word encouragement we have set before us. If you look at the first two letters, N is the idea of putting something in. We use the word in. It's into. The word meant of the very N speaks of a condition or a position. Uh, That's the basic idea of of something that's set, that's set, solid. Uh, So you've got two N's, prefix and a suffix. Into a condition or into a position. And then what's the one word in the middle? Courage. That is encouragement. To put into the state of courage. To put into the state of courage. Now that's a fascinating word to study, and we did do that last Sunday night. We used Old Testament words and New Testament words, and and my task in the next uh, six, times to work through this with you on Sunday mornings, is to illustrate it for you. Because the Bible does illustrate the word encouragement uh, through the lives of some of the folks we meet on the pages. Now, more times than not, when we say, let's talk about encouragement, we go to the New Testament and we pull up the same guy every time. Know his name? Barnabas. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He's found in the book of Acts. In chapter 4, verse 36, this is what it says. Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. I I stop right there because I find it interesting. He was nicknamed that by the apostles. His real name was Joseph. And when they see Joseph coming, they first think, no, that's not Joseph, that's, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. What would you think if we decided to give you a nickname? Would you let us pick it? Would you trust us? <laughs> the apostles picked his name. I thought that was kind of interesting. They they called him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Now, we could do that with the New Testament, but my, my express goal is to use Old Testament illustrations of encouragement. And I found that to be a very fascinating study. Uh, it's not that I, I think that these characters that we're talking about here are lesser known than others that we would know. Matter of fact, they're probably more well known than some of the folks that we might reference in Scripture. Uh, but they are very excellent examples. If you live back in the days of the book of Acts or the time when Paul was writing letters of, of telling the the believers they're to encourage one another, the text that they would use to illustrate their point was the Old Testament. They did not have a New Testament written then. They were living it out in front of each other, the book of Acts and the events of that day. But if they wanted an example, they went to the Old Testament. That was always their example. And so we're going to actually do that for the next couple of weeks, and you're going to see... Actions recorded in black and white of what God called the church to do in encouragement. Let me show you a great passage. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the comment that Paul gives us in the first uh, 10 or 11 verses here. Of what the value of the Old Testament is. He says, 1 Corinthians 10, 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all, excuse me, and they all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, and they were all drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. You see that phrase? That's important. These things happened as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat uh, sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Let us not act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Let us not try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example. Twice he says that, doesn't he? This happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Now, basically, I, I like to say this, but basically when you go through Old Testament examples, you learn... How not to do it. Right? Many times over. Don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. Don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. Even this whole dialogue that Paul was giving us. How many times did he say, Now don't do it that way. <laughs> how not to do it. Examples like that abound in the Old Testament. So, I have chosen a handful of Old Testament men to serve as examples of understanding the ministry of encouragement. Now, there's variety in all this, but it all comes to the, per- the same uh, purpose. The same thing surfaces every time. And that is, in the nature of encouragement, you're putting someone into a state of courage. Putting someone into a state of courage. You can find these words. Encourage. Encouraging. Encouraged. Encouragement. You can type it into uh, a Bible software system, you know. uh, We have great search programs now available to us on our computers. We could type in any of those words. And what's interesting is that in the Old Testament, the very first reference to the word encouragement comes in the life of Moses. And that at the very end of his life. Very end of his life. We see a reference to Moses. And it was a transition between Moses in leadership and Joshua in leadership. Very interesting things. Now, we could talk about Moses this morning and and we say, yeah, we know quite a bit about Moses. After all, what book doesn't talk about Moses in the scriptures? Almost every book has a reference to Moses somewhere in it. Uh, We know quite a bit about Moses. And then we say, well, we know quite a bit about the life of Joshua too. After all, there's a whole book with his name on it. And uh, we can study the life of Joshua and remember some of the famous stories in that as well. But what's interesting is, though we know these men, and especially Moses from the very beginning to the very end of his life, um, yet what we read of Moses, we read of Joshua, God had called them to a particular task that was leading the people of Israel into the land. God had called them to the text. Now, uh, Moses was the one that God said to Joshua, you will replace, you will take his place, you will lead the people into the land. Can you imagine how difficult that task would be? Here's a description of Moses. Very few people had a career like Moses. And to duplicate that kind of thing, it's a rare thing indeed. Um, Matter of fact, there are some parts of his life you wouldn't want to duplicate. I don't think you'd want to lead people for 40 years in the wilderness that were as disobedient as the ones under him. It's not like a week of BBS, you know. It's a full-time 40 years working with these people that were constantly disobedient, or at least we say it that way. But this is what was written of him. I, Arthur W. Pink, in his commentary, Gleanings in Exodus, he, he quoted from another man. His name was uh, Dr. I.M. Haldeman. This is his, uh, if you will, his obituary of Moses. I find it interesting. The life of Moses presents a series of striking antithesis. He was the child of a slave, and the son of a king. He was born in a hut and lived in a palace. He inherited poverty and enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was the leader of armies and the keeper of flocks. He was the mightiest of warriors and the meekest of men. He was educated in the court and dwelt in the desert. He had the wisdom of Egypt and the faith of a child. He was fitted for the city and wandered in the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin and endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in speech and talked with God. He had the rod of a shepherd and the power of the infinite. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh and an ambassador from heaven. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone on Mount Moab and appeared with Christ in Judea. No man assisted at his funeral, yet God buried him. The fire has gone out of the mount. Out of Mount Sinai, but the lightning is still in his law. His lips are silent, but his voice yet speaks. How do you fill those sandals? That was Joshua's call, wasn't it? To take where Moses had led them and lead the people on into the promised land. How do you do such a thing? Would you say that Joshua needs encouragement? I would certainly say that. Well, here's a couple of verses we're going to contemplate this morning. Way back in a book called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Let's look at the words. This is first time encouragement appears on the page as historical uh, setting goes in Scripture. First, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Go to verse, well, let's start with verse 6. We're going to work our way to verse number 38. And it sounds like a long passage, but as I read this to you, Try to imagine what it was like to be Moses. For here he's 120 years old. He has wandered for 40 years in the wilderness with these people. He has seen all that the Lord has done in his powers and in his miracles. He's seen all that the people have done in disobedience. And now he's come to the place where God says, Moses, you are going to die. You are not going into the promised land. And Joshua is going to take your place. This entire book of Deuteronomy was written like a sermon. Moses standing there just before he went up on that mountain to die. Right? you got the scene? This is Moses at that point. Now he starts to describe the people here and the experiences. And it's worth our time to go through this. Verse 6, he says, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all its neighbors in the Arabah, and the hill country, in the lowlands, and in the Negev, and in the sea coast, in the land of the Canaanites of Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed that land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sworn to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to them, and their descendants after them. I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you. Behold, you are like the day, you are this day like the stars of the heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are, and bless you just as he promised you. How can I bear this load alone and burden of you and your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will point them as your heads. You answered me and said these things that you have said is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and officers of your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen and the alien who is with you. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me, and I will hear it. So I commanded you at that time that these, all these things you should do. Then we set out from Horeb, and went through this great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way of the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God has commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed this land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord. Your God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear, be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us that they may seek out the land for us and bring us word by the way of which we should go up and the cities we should enter. This thing pleased me, and I took twelve of you men, one from each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it Out. They took some of the fruit of the land with their hands and brought it to us. They brought us back a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet, you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and you said, Because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out here to the land of Egypt to deliver us to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. We cannot go up. Or where can we go up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. Besides, we saw the sons of Anakin there. And I said to them, Do not be shocked, nor fear the Lord. The Lord your God who goes before you, He Himself will fight on your behalf, just as He did for you in Egypt, before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw, the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son. And all the ways in which you have walked... You have come to this place. But for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God who goes before your way, who seeks out a place for you to encamp in fire by night, cloud by day, to show you where you should go. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and he was angry and he took oath, saying, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jepunah, he shall see it, and, I sh- and to him and to his sons I will give the land which he shall set his foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me on your account, saying, you should not even you shall enter there. Now, based on all that information, are you real happy right now? It's a terrible scene, isn't it? Disobedience? You're not going. I'm not going. They're all standing there on the, on the border, so to speak. No one's going of that group. Not a happy sermon, is it? He says, no one. You're not going. I'm not going. Another generation would go. But, verse 38. Watch in the midst of this. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him. For he will cause Israel to inherit it. See that phrase? Encourage him. It kind of stands out in the midst of all the rest, doesn't it? Encourage him. Now, Another place to look, just not as much reading, turn to chapter number 3. Same book, chapter 3. Or start in verse 21 this time. Now, this is Moses still. He says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your, servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray. Cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, the good Hill Country, and Lebanon. (laughs) Here Moses would say, Lord, oh please, just give me one more chance. I just want to go. I just want to go over and see it. He had already been told no. And yet here he is at the last couple of maybe minutes or hours of his life. And he says, Lord, come on. Can't I just go? Let me go. I just want to go see it. And uh, what's the Lord's response? He says in verse 26, The Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough! Speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the to- top of Pisgah, lift up your eyes to the west and the north and the south and the east, and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But, notice the next phrase, very important. Charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. Who was Moses thinking of at that moment? Moses, right? The last chapter, or the chapter one, who was he thinking of there? Israel. And their disobedience. His focus is set on these two things. And it might seem very logical. He's about to die. He's reviewing his life. He's been dealing with this for 40 years, hasn't he? That's enough to keep you in a rut. Then thinking, thinking, thinking. He says, this land, I really have desired this land all these years. I just want to go in one step. That's all. Just one step. God says no. His focus is on past. His focus is on his future. But where is he in the middle? He's to be training Joshua. He's to be encouraging Joshua. See, sometimes when we go through all these things, we say, okay, this is the job to encourage Joshua. Who's Joshua? Well, we know a lot about him. Do you think Joshua was a fearful man? You read of him in Scripture. Here is a man who uh, was told many times by the Lord, be strong and courageous. Is that because he was frightful all the time? No, he had a huge job in front of him. How many of you would have gone against a king named Og, who has a bed 13 feet long, and fight him in battle? I don't know what that meant, but it sounded pretty, pretty ominous to fight a man like that. He fought battles on several fronts already, leading the army in several ways. Which of you would come up to the soldier of the Lord, the army, or or the angel of the host of the Lord, and walk right up to him when he's got a sword drawn, and say, Who are you for, us or them? That's a rather courageous thing to do, isn't it? Joshua was a very, very courageous man. So I don't think it was that he was a fearful man, and he needed somebody to somehow bolster him up to get him to do this. When you picture Joshua, do you picture him like planograph material? Nice young guy. you know he was 80 years old? 80 years old at this point. Maybe even 85. He had already gone through 40 years in the wilderness. Wasn't he there that whole time? Didn't he come out of Egypt? Wasn't he one of the leaders in the first year that went into the land to spy it out? Those were spies over 30 years old. And here's Joshua now. He's about 80 or 85 years old at this time, and you say, "Okay, well, well, what's the big deal?" Joshua was accustomed to being the second place leader under Moses for 40 years. I try to put that into an equation that I could understand. That's an assistant pastor for 40 years. Can you imagine? 40 years. Well oh, I always help him out. He's the one who makes the plans, he's the one who leads, he's the one with direction, he's the one with the authority. I i just serve under him. I serve under him. I serve under him. And all of a sudden he's gone. After forty years. He's gone. Guess who's in charge? Joshua. Guess who's in charge? That that's something very interesting. This is is um, this is a job you'd want. Right, dealing with a generation that has already seen their parents disobey and die for the last 40 years. You've got their children now. If Moses did not have a great deal of success with his 40 years, is it natural that Joshua might be a little concerned about that for his? I would think so. This is a hard job. How do you step into the place of somebody who hasn't done, well, all that you were hoping for? There's disobedience and death all around you. The very first ministry I was called to was in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I knew nothing about ministry. To tell the truth, I knew nothing. And they, they thought I should be a pretty good leader, I suppose. Uh, I was the only one that had Bible college experience in the whole group. They said, you do it. <laughs> I said, all right. So for five years, I, I served them. Had no idea what I was doing, and they had no idea what I was supposed to do. So we were quite happy together. But uh, that church, uh, the second day after I became their pastor, I was at school. I was attending Southeastern Bible College, and the professor in the classroom was sitting there. Up, at, He always sat in a desk at the front of the the classroom, and he's looking at me when I came in and started to laugh. And that's not always a happy feeling when you see him looking right at you and laughing. And I said, what's so funny? He says, I heard you're the pastor down at the church. I said, yeah. He said, do you know what we call that place? I said, no. He says, the pastor's graveyard. (laughs) Every two years they fire their pastor, whether they need it or not. (laughs) That's just their tradition. And I said, oh my, what am I in? The pastor's graveyard. In case you're wondering, I did go five, all right? And they didn't fire me either, so I <laughs> felt good too. But how do you make the transition when it's got a track record? That's terrible. That's terrible. That's what Moses had led the people, and he, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. But disobedience was written all over the pages of their history, So how do you encourage a man? What did God do for Joshua? You know? God started this in encouraging Joshua. He let him cross the river Jordan, and a miracle took place there. And the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 3 of that book, Joshua 3, 7. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And when they got on the other side of the Jordan River, they had collected up some stones to make a memorial. As they got up on the other side of the thing, they set up this memorial. And the Lord says, on that day, he exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. So just in a few moments after, after events start to come under Joshua's authority... He crosses the Jordan River, they set up these monuments, they circumcise the whole next generation, they celebrate the Passover, and something new happened that none of them had seen before except Joshua and Caleb. The manna stopped. Can you imagine being used to manna growing up? Manna's there. That's breakfast, that's lunch, that's dinner. It's provided. The Lord does it over and over for 40 years. He provided manna. If you're 39 years old, you had known nothing else. And it stopped. What have you just seen? You've just seen some miraculous things happen in front of you, but all huge changes, right? Huge changes. They're now in the land. They're celebrating the Passover. The manna has stopped, so they're dependent completely upon the land there. They have armies in front of them to fight. They've got a brand new leader named Joshua. Incredible transition. And yet Joshua was so faithful in all these things. And you say, okay, so is this a lesson on Joshua and how to do it? No. Who was told to encourage Joshua? Joshua. Moses was. This is the story of Moses you're hearing this morning. The story of Moses. And I'll tell you why it's important that we see it this way. On one side of him is history. On the other side is future, which is he's about to die. His job is to put Joshua into a state of courage. Yet his focus was on that land. His focus were on those people. His focus was on his death. But it needed to be on Joshua. And God commanded him twice. And you read them with me. Twice he said, encourage him. Encourage him. Put him in a state of courage. Do you think that was easy for Moses? That transition time has come. you think that's easy? That represents your whole career. That represents all you've ever done. How easy is it to hand it to somebody else? Leadership. Authority. What might Moses, if he was anything perhaps like us, be wrestling with? Well, you know what we think of competition. What do you think of those who who, uh, uh, do a better job at your job when they replace you? Are you ever worried about that? The next guy might just do a better job than me. Sometimes we get a little jealous. Sometimes we, we get consumed with our own self. After all, we got a retirement party right on the horizon, right? Sometimes we look at it all like it's about me, it's about me, it's about my career, it's about me finishing well, it's about all these things. But those very simple things can hamper the next guy's role. The very same things. How, how easy it is for us to get consumed in our own work, our own life, our own things, and forget that somebody has to take our place. Do you realize this? Unless the Lord should come, I hope he does soon, somebody else will have your position. Somebody else will do your ministry. Somebody else will fill those shoes. It's been going on for all these years, hasn't it? Right now, you're in a position, whatever it might be. It could be anywhere from nursery all the way up to, you know, leading choir or whatever else. Somebody had done that before, hadn't they? Aren't you filling somebody else's shoes? Don't you love the transition? (laughs) Pastors have this thing. When they're seeking out ministry and churches are looking for... Potential candidates for ministry, they they set up these opportunities for them to come and and, uh, meet the church and be interviewed by the church. And it's a terrible experience. Not to meet people or anything like that, but it's tense. Because, you know, you want to say the right things, you want to be doing the right things, you want to give the right vision of what you'd like to do, and all these things... Well, here's one scenario I do know personally, because I was invited to one place to go where the pastor had been there for 50 years. He was still there. They figured, well, he's probably now needing to retire. He's up in his 80s. How do you feel shoes like that? Everything in the building had his fingerprints on it. How do you take that place? That's an incredible thing to, to make a transition of this nature. Several times over, it goes good. Several times over, it goes poorly. A transition. A transition. That's the word I'm looking at. A transition. And I want to ask you something here, because I know our time's up. But when it comes to the ministry of encouragement, it might be that your part in that is in the midst of a transition. Matter of fact... I would highly recommend it that wherever you are in whatever ministry you're called to be looking for somebody who you could train to do what you do. Raise them up. Train them up. That's taking the focus off of ourselves. That's taking the focus off of our history. That's taking the focus off of our retirement party. And it's focusing on the next guy who will have that same role. That's encouragement. To put them into a state of courage. That they may lead. That they may lead. That is a big time calling. That's what Moses was told to do. That simple picture, put into a state of courage. It means we've got to set aside competition thoughts, pride thoughts, jealousy thoughts, challenges thoughts. We've got to realize that we're here also to encourage the next guy. To encourage that next guy. So I want you to think about that this week, because we've got another illustration next week of a man who had a call to encouragement. I want you to think particularly of your ministry, what you are called to do, and what you are doing in the church. Who's going to take your place? And what role do you have in preparing that individual for that job? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the illustrations we have in Scripture. Though we hardly touch the surface in many of these things, we, we thank you that you are constantly at work in our hearts and lives. You make us what we ought to be. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you might help us to apply these thoughts. To, <coughs> excuse me, apply these thoughts to get our focus off ourselves, our ministry, to realize that the gift you gave to us is for the church and not for our own Edification, not for our own glorification, it's for the edification of the body. Help us to see our role in training others, encouraging others, putting them into a state of courage that they may do the work too. Help us to get our focus on others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.